0: Dr. Whitney. Welcome back to the Modern Mommy Doc podcast. Today, I have two mamas and professionals that I'm very excited to chat with. Kaylee Christensen and Kelly Oriard, an educator and therapist team who are the co-founders and co-CEOs of slumberkins. And I love slumberkins for my own kiddos. If you guys do not know what slumberkins are, go Google it and they will explain what it is too. My daughter has the little slumberkins avalanche mountain with all the different feeling little stuffies. And the other day, she literally walked into her room, came up to me and then just put the mad one right in front of her face (laughs) and showed it to me. And I was like, yes, social, emotional learning. I love it. So You guys, welcome to the podcast. So glad that you're here with me today.
1: Oh, thank you for having us. We're excited to chat.
0: Okay, so today we're going to talk about this idea that we wrote about on the blog a while back about moms really feeling the onus to be responsible for their children's mental health and really being the ones, it's not just in their minds, being the ones who are taking on a lot of the weight of of taking care of their children's mental health. And we're going to talk about how we can expand resources for families, expand kind of the the weight of that and redistribute it to other people and communities. But first, I would love if you guys can talk about your story, about why you created Slumberkins and tell people what it is for those who are thinking, I'm totally crazy for having my kids stuff a mad stuffy in my face.
1: Sure. Well, the Slumberkin story goes back to when Kelly and I ended up on a maternity leave together about six years ago now with our six-year-old boys now from our roles as educators. So I was a former special education teacher that taught in a day treatment school environment. So the most extreme you can get in the world of education, in the world of mental health and behavioral health before a child might be placed in a residential facility outside of their home because of safety concerns. And Kelly, my best friend since we were 14, was, is a marriage and family therapist and worked as a school counselor. And we just overlapped on so many different things that we were using in the schools as interventions that we were doing with students in the world of mental health that I'll let Kelly speak to more on the group she was serving.
2: Yeah. It, you know, just even from what you said in the beginning, you know, I really felt that as the, as the school counselor, as behaviors were going up, kids and families were experiencing more and more pressure, mental health, behavioral health challenges, parents, a lot of moms coming to me and saying, Hey, put my kid in a small group, like help me with this. We're going through a divorce and I don't know what to say. Quick, you do it, you know, because they're, they were so overwhelmed. And as a therapist, I knew that those messages were going to be best coming from them, but also that there needed to be that greater support, a systemic intervention, basically. So we kind of took the template of some of those highest need classes or kiddos or families that we both ran into in the schools. And when we were on maternity leave, talked about like, how could we try to change the game on how we approach emotional health and learning and how do we get parents prepared earlier so that when the kids are in school, by that time, they already sort of have the basics or they've been spoken to about these things by their parents so that teachers can really pick up the ball and keep going with it, which was the role that we were in at the time. So it was just a big idea that really had no we had no business background. We had no business doing business. We had no business plan. <laughs> we didn't know what we were doing, but my mom had given me a sewing machine for my birthday and we had some time on our hands because the babies were asleep. So we taught ourselves to sew. She's air quoting, you
0: guys. Air, air, yeah. air quote
2: time on our hands. Air
0: uh-huh. Yeah.
2: And taught ourselves to sew, wrote these stories as poems on basically on cardstock that were intervention. So like the sloth story, cause we were like, Oh, we have to make a sloth. It's so cute. The sloth story was a progressive muscle relaxation routine, kind of in rhyming form to try to support parents with like bedtime routines and helping kids really relax their bodies before bed. And then we did one around Bigfoot because Kaylee resonated so deeply with that. We're both really tall in real life. Kaylee's six two and I'm six foot, but Kaylee was, has been that height since she's basically in sixth grade so she's been the has deep connection to Bigfoot
1: yeah there's a there's definitely a personal personal story there of you know I don't think kids can be so unintentional in the comments they make especially about Mm -hmm. physical differences that they're just like stating sometimes the obvious, but don't have that social filter or learning on not to call out physical differences. And so, I mean, growing up as a six foot tall sixth grader, it just was kind of rough in the early days until I found basketball to really support but my mom early on in my life from the time I was really young I can remember her infusing the practice of positive affirmations in my life to really help build a foundation of self-confidence and self-esteem so I even feel when I look back on it now those comments were hurtful they they didn't they weren't they weren't helpful they were hurtful but I always did lean back on that those words that my mom instilled in me. And I had something to lean back on in that. And so we infused the positive affirmation side into the Bigfoot story. And then it just became kind of a brand footprint across all of our books that, that, that end in a positive interactive, positive affirmation, because that's kind of the magic of the brand is the moment you hear a child repeat words like, I am kind, I am strong, I am brave and unique. The world is better because I am here and I like me. It just clicks. It's like, those are the words we all needed to hear as children. <laughs> and now <laughs> hoping that that transfers down by giving these, these tools in the, in the book form. And it's just exciting to think about the brand starting to even be more present in the world of classrooms where we started it originally.
0: So cool. Yeah. I- You know, I think as a pediatrician, I see so much noise out there and so many messages that moms, especially, I think, are seeing. And I think as we enter into more and more of an attention economy where there's pulls on your attention, but then also there's like a notification from the New York Times about how you need to do this to be a good parent. And then, you know, there's something that comes from Parents Magazine about this is what you actually need to do or from, you know, the school. And then also just this pull on like, maybe to be a good parent, I need to have my kid in eight ballet classes. Plus, they need to be like the star athlete. Plus, they need to get all A's, blah, blah, blah. And really what you guys are doing in my mind is distilling it down to helping parents see firsthand what's the most important thing they actually need to teach their kids or that they need to focus on with their kids. Because when you hear that back from your child, like that affirmation back from your child, you're like, Whoa, yes. Okay. I'm doing it. This is the thing that actually my child needs to be successful. And I'm like, quote unquote, successful as in they're a competent human being who is resilient, who can ride the waves of stress over time, who can learn coping skills.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's the trap that, uh, you know, I think a lot of people fall into, you know, myself included as a mom, when you start trying, you feel insecure or you feel worried, and you feel like other people know more than you, and so you reach out for information to support yourself. But at the end of the day, parents are the experts on their children. The connection that they have with them is the most important thing that they can give their child, right? Recognizing their child's inner world, speaking to the love that they have for them, no matter what, and then teaching those skills of things that you might learn or find interesting to support your child. But that connection piece is what everything else is based on. And so that's where our brand really focuses in in helping parents feel very secure in that they are bringing that forward and they have those tools to do that.
0: And then how is it now being dispersed into classrooms and into schools? How is it now reaching kind of that next step beyond parents? And let me pause before you answer that. For those who are still a little bit confused, so somberkins, they have the the stuffies like the Bigfoot, for example, and then a story that goes along with it, and then has affirmations that are along with that as well. And they all tie in together so that for a child, it's so much more concrete of this is the little stuffy who was actually pictured in the book, who was talking to me or who I could identify with within the book. Is that the best way to explain it? Would you guys say?
1: Yes. Thank you. We sometimes <laughs> tend to skip over what slumberkins actually is and go deep into the <laughs> mission or of like behind the scenes. So yes, thank you. And I think, at an even larger kind of overview, you know, we have 15 core collections that touch on different pillars of emotional wellness, and some are more proactive skills like authenticity, mindfulness, gratitude, self-esteem, all the things that a parent wants as a foundation for an emotional, in the emotional health health of their child. And then we have the more you know, kind of use cases, situations like we have a collection for grief and loss. We have one for coping with stress and anxiety, conflict resolution. Although we're seeing that a lot of people just want the whole library as a toolbox Mm -hmm. to be prepared for anything because we know in this day and age, the conversation around grief and loss is happening, seems to be almost daily and Mm -hmm. there aren't enough resources out there. And so, To answer the question around how it's kind of integrating into schools, this last year we've taken the time to build out monthly unit plans that are state-standard aligned, that are turnkey curriculum for teachers to plug into their classroom teaching through the lens of the brand. And so it's just really exciting to see the traction there within teachers just using the curriculum and the feedback that we're getting of Similarly, with the characters, like you explained, a child being so engaged with, let's say, Bigfoot, because they see him in the book, they're doing the affirmations to help him feel better. And then they see him in the classroom and he's kind of their mascot around self-esteem and confidence. And so we're really excited about the curriculum. We offer it now as like a packaged content hub subscription where you get access to everything plus, plus exclusive content that gets delivered into the curriculum hub.
0: And what has been the response from educators? Because I know some amazing educators. We love teachers at Modern Mommy Doc. My dad was a teacher for 25 years, so I'm all about educators. And also, I think that, you know, the old school way that educators approached kids in schools was not necessarily from a social-emotional lens. So what's the response you're getting from educators about how much they're learning or about how much this is helping them within the classroom?
2: there's this kind of split when you think about education. I think a lot of the interventions and a lot of the ways that the schools are set up is really based on behaviorism Mm -hmm. and like, you know, you see a behavior, you intervene with that behavior, knock that behavior out. And, you know, we just know that people are more complex than that, (laughs) that it is true that we're seeing behaviors and that, you know, these things are happening. But what lies underneath that is where true change happens and where, you know, those building blocks are forming that, that are the cause of the behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so I think intuitively people understand that because we live our lives. And sometimes we, as adults have behaviors that we say, Whoa, why'd I do that? Mm -hmm. Uh, And we have the, the, you know, our minds to like kind of dig through and say, oh, it was because of this, or I was triggered by that. And it's because of this thing in my past. And I think because of that sort of like cultural awakening of people being like understanding those concepts, it's resonating much more with teachers too, because people are there along with that ride. And so they see that in slumberkins that we're actually addressing something on the deepest level and supporting teachers with extending that support around the mind and inner being of children first, Mm -hmm. because it does support behaviors. You don't have to have as much specific focus on behaviors when you do this kind of work for the basis. And so we what we really love is that it extends from starting in the home where it's the most impactful most important relationships and as kids start to go to school teachers become that you know second most important relationship mm-hmm. they're you know every, they're like the second primary attachment figure and helping support and grow that child's sense of themselves so we really wanted to be in schools to support teachers on
1: that journey as well yeah and to to speak to the feedback that we're getting right now, teachers are so overwhelmed with, mm-hmm. you know, the task at hand of working in the world of education currently that anything that engages a child is like king in the classroom right now, because it is about engaging, engaging the kids to and like reintegrating them into the social side of school and settings you know like I think I was having a conversation with the principal and school counselor at my kids school and it was I think in December and it was about my six-year-old who was joining a social group and there and I was like oh yeah I'd love for him to get plugged into more like proactive social stuff Mm -hmm. because he has sensory things and so and they were like well We'd like to get there, but right now we're just daily putting out fires. (laughs) And so I think anything that teachers can plug and play that's really approachable and engaging for kids is really resonating. And we know that historically a lot of different social-emotional curriculums that we both used and were exposed to as educators too – are really great tools of information about emotions. And they're more like the science behind emotions for mm-hmm. kids to learn about them. And then Slumberkins comes in and we've heard in from teachers that it's so complimentary. And then it's what actually engages the child to be interested in doing the learning about it. Mm-hmm.
0: You know how like in high school you could join different clubs, depending on your interests or things people were into. I wasn't really that much of a club person when I was younger, but these days it feels like having a tribe of other working moms around me is so, so valuable and it's hard to do in real life because we're all scattered and busy and have our separate lives. We have designed the Modern Mamas Club to be that club, that tribe, that support network for you. And we didn't want it just to be about what are the ways we can help you to be an awesome professional or what are the ways we can help you to be an awesome mom, but also what are the ways we can help you to remember who you are as an individual person? Voila! Welcome. The Modern Mamas Club is on the scene. It's a community of mamas to support you. 24 access to our video library, live events, workshops, hangouts, relatable mom rooms and discussions, and a resource library and recommendations from yours truly, Dr. Whitney. Go check it out at ModernMommyDoc.com. What I love about when educators take on social, emotional wellness training for kids is that it really normalizes it. My daughter also is in a social group. I've talked on your ID live. We talk all the time on this podcast. She has some neurodivergence and she didn't want to be in the social group. She was like really upset that she had to be pulled out and to be in the social group. But what she found is because at our school, there's such a heavy emphasis on social emotional learning that when she got to the social group, she's like, oh, I'm actually just doing all the stuff that I really like learning about in the rest of school. She said, I get to have like a whole 30 minutes where I get to write a whole story about this kid who was having a hard time and got to cope with it. So it makes it so that now... Yes, she's set aside from the other students, but she feels like, oh, that's okay. It's because I'm learning about this thing that we're all learning about. I just get to do a deep dive into it, and I also feel like it makes it so that coming back to this idea about moms taking it on, when she comes home, I can say, oh, well, remember when your teacher talked about how when we need to get calm and our bodies are starting to get really buzzy inside, the best thing we can do is just close our eyes take a few breaths, right? I can almost put it on the teacher as well as myself as to how she can use her body to calm herself down. And that helps tremendously. Any parent knows if a doctor tells you that you're supposed to eat an apple a day, your kid's more likely to do it. If the dentist is the one that tells you to brush your teeth, your kid's more likely to do it. So if a teacher is more likely to tell your kid, you need to take some breaths and calm down, they're way more likely to do it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And, you know, you mentioned your daughter's experience with the feels set early on in the conversation. And sometimes we get asked because one of the emotions in there is calm and it's Mm -hmm. not like happy or excited. And Kelly, maybe you should speak to why we chose that in, even in thinking about the feels as kind of the first product that we developed for education, more so even than for parents
2: it's stemming out of the mindfulness collection but when we think about the feelings that often are the most hard to sit with the most uncomfortable you know we don't believe in any bad feelings but you know the ones that get in the way or really are uncomfortable were the ones that we focused on and so there's scared mad sad worried and calm in the set and we really wanted to bring it to the place of at the end of the story Yeti is getting to a place of calm which is just that baseline place of mindfulness, hopefully, and in approaching the world with having taken care of these feelings that were difficult to get to know. So she has to hang in there, use tools like taking breaths to calm down, get curious and interested in, a, in what that feeling has to tell her because all feelings mm-hmm. are important, even the ones that are uncomfortable. So it was sort of our first dive into some of those concepts around how do we how do we get at those concepts and make them concrete for kids and i think the fields was able to do that
1: mm-hmm. and i love the context of well first of all that students Aren't really ready to learn until they're in that calm state. You know, like if you think mm-hmm. of all of us as adults trying to manage life with anxiety in the last couple of years, you can't really be that productive until you get yourself to that calm state. And it's the same for kids, you know? And then I also think the, even the example of she handed you the mad or mm-hmm. it's like externalizing that emotion is a lot mm-hmm. easier to talk about than just her taking it on that
2: yeah that she's mad you know like her whole being is mad it's easier to take a you know the the little mad guy and say like this is i'm mad it's a form of communication and it's easier to say well how can we take care of that mad right instead mm-hmm. of like what do you need to do, to do which feels a lot feel more like. like unintentionally it's not blaming or anything but i think we all c- can relate to that like when it's just at you it's it's easier to talk about something outside of yourself
1: or for children, yeah. even other that they operate as parts, like, within someone. So, like, even my daughter gets really anxious if she knows that I'm frustrated or mad about something, mm-hmm. and then she, just the other day, I was really frustrated with my six-year-old Owen for not being able to find and put on his shoes when we needed to get out the door at a certain mm-hmm. time, and <laughs> as we're in the car, as we were in the car driving to where we were finally getting on our way to go, Cora, my daughter who's five leaned over to Owen and goes, just because mom's mad doesn't mean she doesn't love you. <laughs> like, and cause she now can like, know that like mad is just a part of me, but it's not how it doesn't change anything about how, like who I am as their mother and my love for them will never break, you know, or change.
0: That is so powerful. I mean, I, I think some of this, onus of responsibility that comes to moms. I was just, I was just writing a chapter about boundaries for a new book that we're working on. It's about like feeling like if we're not pleasing everybody, if we don't have pleasing emotions to everybody, then somehow we're bad. Then somehow like there's something wrong with us. And I really feel like the generation that came before us, of course, I have lovely parents. I'm sure you guys all have lovely parents, but you know, I think that generation didn't understand as clearly that sometimes the parenting style of being very authoritarian was was very much like this behavior is bad. <laughs> this behavior mm-hmm. is good. Therefore, you are bad. Therefore, you mm-hmm. are good. And the fact that your kid can say to your other kid, like, oh, no, no, don't worry. This is like this is just like she's just mad. But that means her, you're, you're still OK you're still an okay person. And I think for moms, as they're taking care of the mental health of their kids, that I really feel like we, we take on also that if our kids aren't doing well, that means there's something wrong with us. That if our kids have something going on with their mental health, if they're not, if they're mad and they're sad all the time, that means we must be doing something wrong. Can you guys talk to that about maybe your experience in your own lives or what you guys have seen with your, with your clients, with your customers?
2: Yeah, I can resonate with this deeply. I think, you know, becoming a mom was the moment that this kind of concept really flooded my whole being. And I think is mm-hmm. a lot of the reason that we, you know, a lot of what I poured into Slumberkins and trying to make sure that we pulled these things apart. I think you're spot on that our generation and the, our parents They didn't have that nuance to it. And it's really normal that a child, all of us as children understood that we were bad (laughs) because we did Mm -hmm. bad things or, you know, nobody was explaining that difference back then. And it's, it's totally not intentional or our parents didn't mean that we were bad. Right. But our Mm -hmm. child brains understood that. And we took that along with us in our lives and we're adults now. And guess what? We still have those child parts of us that believe those same thing. So when I had my boys, I mean, I was a therapist at the time. I knew about the developmental levels. I knew all of this stuff, but the emotions of it, right. And the seeing, I had a really hard time with the crying and loud noises and the infant stage in particular was like shockingly triggering (laughs) to Mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. And I think, It really just highlighted, for me, it pushed me into this place of feeling like something's wrong, like something's wrong with me. What's Why am I not showing up in the right way for for my kids? Do I not like being a mom? I thought I wanted to be a mom. And so I think looking back now, I'm able to see that I think I I had colicky kids. Having kids 19 months apart (laughs) is (laughs) really intense, (laughs) and I probably had some like, postpartum depression, hormonal stuff. But when you're in it, it's like, you, it's like, I couldn't see that. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, just the process of making meaning of those stories and understanding and separating yourself from the emotions of your child, your own emotions, right? Like emotions are just Mm -hmm. messages for us to Mm -hmm. be curious about something who we are has always been and always will be good and just fine the way it is. So I think that was really our mission too, of trying to pass that to children through the messages of slumberkins. Cause we were feeling it deeply as new moms ourselves.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, to speak to even the personal experiences of, you know, we, it, as the owners and founders of slumberkins, it's a emotional wellness company for children, you know, it doesn't go to say that our own kids don't have their own struggles, you know, and, you know, personally, Kelly and I engage in therapy weekly. We see a marriage and family therapist for ourselves, for our friendship as platonic in this platonic (laughs) marriage of (laughs) co-founders. And I feel like both of us have gone on this journey of emotional growth and wellness where we're probably in the strongest emotionally healthy place than we've ever been just even as individuals and me personally I've gone through quite a roller coaster behind the scenes of going through a divorce back in early late 2019 throughout 2020 and knowing the boundaries that I needed to put in place for myself and protect myself emotionally but then seeing the repercussions that it's had on the kids you know Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. Two days ago, my daughter said to me, mom, my heart feels broken because I want you and dad to live in the same house again. And so Mm -hmm. then of course I go to battle with my own self of like taking on the guilt for causing the pain, but then knowing that like I made the best decision for me (laughs) and Mm -hmm. now it's my job to just Acknowledge that of course you're sad, like your whole world changed, you know, and mm-hmm. just trying and, and I lean on Kelly heavily <laughs> as a therapist to like, okay, how do I respond to this one? Because this is it's really, really hard to not blame yourself or take it on. But that that notion that you had said around not trying to blame yourself as the bad parent for when you're taking care of you and doing what you need to do. But then seeing your kids struggle, it's hard. It's a daily hard struggle, specifically for me.
0: Thank you so much for being really vulnerable here because that's what helps our moms is to see that people who, even who are therapists, even who are educators, even who started a whole company around this, even me as a pediatrician who talks about this ad nauseum, still struggle. I had to take my daughter for objective evaluation for high-functioning autism and ADHD the other day because she's finally kind of at that age and I'm waiting for the results to come in and I'm sitting here like battling with myself about like, well, if she has autism, that will mean it's not my fault because autism is a thing that's like not anybody's fault. If she doesn't, and it's just anxiety, then that will probably still be my fault because I'm the one that probably gave her the genes for anxiety. Even though I know cognitively, that's not true that I didn't decide what genes I was going to have, that I'm not the only person that's involved and so I share that so that for you guys as listeners, as we're talking about this conversation of your children's mental health. I think number one place to start in getting other people to be responsible for some of the care starts with us deciding that we're going to be loving to ourselves enough to not have it be our, our fault constantly. And that doesn't mean we'll be perfect at it all the time, but that we'll continue to work on mindful self-compassion with ourselves and that we'll rely on resources like Zumburgans and that we'll continue to advocate for more education for our kids and more resources for ourselves to improve and maintain the social emotional wellness of our entire families. Yeah. You guys... Thank you so, so much for being here today. I know this is going to help moms to lift some of that blame off of their shoulders and find resources that really help. Can you tell our audience where they can find out more about Slumberkins?
1: Yes, slumberkins.com. But then I would say that we have... The best community in the Slumberkin Social Facebook group full of moms that love to find community online to speak about the mental health side of their children. And then of course on Instagram, both at Slumberkins and Slumberkins for educators for those teachers out there that are looking for more resources.
0: Awesome. Thanks you guys.
1: Thank, Thank you, you so much for having us.
0: Hey mama. If you want more of the modern mommy doc podcast, make sure that you click subscribe. So you don't miss any episodes. We'd also be so honored if you shared with your friends and on social media with the hashtag modern mommy doc. If you share about something that inspired you or that you learned from the podcast, we'll be sure to share it on our social media as well. Thanks for listening.